0: Hi everybody, my name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted on Tuesdays in the offseason and twice during the regular season. Huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We start first with a pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan's Huddle. And then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. Now let's meet Tuesday's panelist, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes to the popular com column. Musings with Arledge, and his own weekly WRSC.com we video show, Musings with Arledge, solo edition, and as a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And finally, a weekly wearesc columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious and not so obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Subtle, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle, Here's a recap of USC football news this past weekend, the Trojans entertained their largest gathering of class of 2024 visitors on their official visits. The results netted them a big time commitment from local bell follower, St. John Bosco, four-star corner, Marcellus Williams made the announcement on Father's Day. He is the younger brother of USC's defensive back, Max Williams. Williams was offered by Oklahoma and UCLA among others, it should be noted that he is the highest ranked commit thus far in this class. And it also should be noted that those recruits were given uniforms on this weekend's uh, visit uh, with a Big Ten logo on the upper right front of the jersey. Last week, the Trojans also received a class of 2024 commitment from four-star tight end. Walter Matthews from Hiram, Georgia, Matthews 67259, picked the Trojans over Florida Gators, but also had offers from Ohio State, Michigan, and Florida State. And according to WeRSC.com recruiting guru Scott Schrader, as many as seven recruits this past weekend could commit uh, in the near future. Last week, defensive back Luttrell McCutcheon entered the transfer portal. And on a staffing note on Monday, former South Carolina linebacker uh, Bryson Allen Williams joined Lincoln Riley's staff as a defensive quality control coach. Last season, Allen Williams was a quality control member of the North Carolina Tar Heels under Mack Brown. And USC President Carol Folt announced near the end of last week that the USC football program will receive a new performance center, which will include three levels dedicated to team operations, as well as a second full-length football field locker room, uh, team auditorium, and meeting room. More on the big story in the first quarter of the huddle. And a reminder that the recruiting division of wrsc.com, headed by Scott Trader and assisted by Marshall Levinson, can be read daily during the week on our premium subscriber uh, storyboard. And don't forget to watch this Friday's wrsc.com video recruiting roundup show with hosts Dylan Brazier and Scott Trader. Friends, wrsc's uh, Inside the Trojan Huddle greatly appreciates your viewer and listenership. We encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber and like buttons. It's greatly valued and it's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Subtle on many available podcast sites. And reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for three months for just $1 or $49.99 for one year. All right, with that in mind, let's get rolling here. Kicking off the first half panel, as mentioned in the opening, USC President Carol Fult announced that the USC football program is getting a new building all for itself. Fult is referring to the new addition as a performance center. In short, the new performance center includes a full-length football field, leads to the uh, performance center, new locker room, multiple player lounges, the recovery hub, nutritional support, sports science services, a weight room, a training room, and an equipment room in addition the new performance center will also feature a team auditorium position meeting rooms recruiting areas staff offices and for flexible space for growth and let's not leave out a three levels building dedicated to team operations as well as a rooftop hospitality deck and a player lounge no completion date has been announced for the football center nor has any official name be given to it other than the Football Performance Center. So, panel, your overall thoughts on the new Performance Center, our leadoff hitter as always, Mark Kolkin, what are your thoughts on the, this new project?
1: Uh, in a nutshell, Greg, it's a game changer. And I'm gonna tell you why. It, you know, people forget that USC won 11 national championships, uh, turned out, what, seven Heisman, uh, seven Heisman Trophy winners, before the McKay Center was even erected, and the football program was competing against, you know, obviously the SEC and other programs that love to invest in the uh, the bells and whistles. So all of a sudden now, USC has stepped into what we call the 21st century, and they are giving themselves a- another unfair advantage. They are going to be on equal footing with, you know, programs. That they've been recruiting against the alabamas the the georgias the lsu's clemson's ohio states of the world and giving their football program you know the same types of as i mentioned bells and whistles mood lights you know locker rooms that you know you have your own pod it, it's it, it's it's like giving a, an 18 year old their first car as a ferrari and saying all right we're going to do everything else for you to To help you reach your goals, and now we're going to give you the nicest toy so you can use it and take advantage of what we're going to provide to you. So again, USC used to do it the hard way. Now they're just getting smarter. Um, I I don't know how this is can be perceived in any way but a positive. And if anybody has a negative, I'm still waiting to hear one. Spoken to a lot of people about this, and people are just like, "Wow!" Um, I was out there at the uh, OT7 on Sunday on Father's Day. People are just like, you know, USC is going to have other programs. are going to have a really tough time recruiting against USC now. You bring this in, you bring in NIL, the transfer portal. It's kind of, you know, game over almost.
0: Uh, Mark, let me ask you this question. Were you surprised
1: that they didn't name a completion date? No. (laughs) Look how long it's taken them to get to here. The fact that they actually have um, drawings. Uh, I'm not even sure they have a start date. All we know is it's going to happen. So we'll find out. I'm not surprised. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm willing to take baby steps. They made the announcement. Um, this was obviously a big part of bringing Lincoln Riley over. And so they had to kind of prove it. today. Last week when when Carol Fult announced it, it was show and tell. And everybody got to, to go ooh and ah.
0: Uh, Chris Arledge, did you go ooh and ah? Do you think the Performance Center is uh, an absolute game changer, as Lincoln Riley said it was, in his in his uh, perspective? Is it needed? What, what's your overall thoughts?
2: Well, Lincoln Riley obviously thinks it's very important. He This is something that he insisted upon uh, in taking the job, and he's clearly excited about it. I don't know that you have to be equal to the other programs with their great facilities in order to be successful, right? Pete Carroll wasn't. It's just that that's something you have to overcome, and um, and you know if if other programs have the bells and whistles, then that doesn't only catch recruits' eyes, but it also it also seems to suggest that they're more serious about football than USC is. And so, uh, look, if you can take away as many of those disadvantages as possible. That it puts you in a strong position to uh, to recruit, you know, top three classes every year, which is obviously what uh, what Lincoln Riley wants to do so yeah this is this is exciting news it's only going to be good for the program and. um, And I think mark is right it's it's going to make it very difficult for other programs to compete against usc there was a time not too long ago when a program like Oregon which can't actually sell. You know, tradition or or trophies or uh, or elite education, uh, at least had a really fancy building, and that would impress people. If USC has an equally fancy building, then I guess they're I guess they're left um, bragging about their time on the CW. But you can see how that would make it a lot more difficult for them to compete with USC. And by the way, since everybody's wondering, yes, I am sitting in a car. I'm sitting in a rental car in a parking lot. I had a meeting finish and I didn't have time to to get somewhere else so I apologize for doing this from a rental car but um I had no choice well
0: it just this shows is you not, how...
2: this is not a this is not a fantastic new facility this is the opposite of what USC is doing
0: <laughs> uh, but it should be noted it shows how much you care about USC football and the huddle and we greatly appreciate that or you just want to experience what Lincoln Riley has done like last year he answered some questions, I believe, when he was driving to work or his limousine driver or whatever. So uh, I, how does it feel to be in that position, uh, sitting in a car in Newport Beach? Do you feel like Lincoln Riley?
2: I don't feel like Lincoln Riley. And by the way, I was trying a case last year and we had a witness who had to appear by Zoom from out of town. And the witness calls in and he's literally still, he's trying to testify while he's still driving his car. He didn't even pull over beside <laughs> the, the road. He's driving and 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 talking to us until the judge told him, Sir, sir, I need you to pull over and stop doing that. It's unsafe. Oh, okay, judge. So at least I'm not doing that. I am stationary.
1: Well was the yacht cruise, Chris. I said, How was the yacht cruise, Chris? Since you're hanging out there in Newport.
2: Samely. Uh
0: (laughs) did did Chris freeze up on us? No, he's he's okay. Are you okay there Chris? Uh, I think so. I'm back. Okay. Well, we'll keep rolling cuz we don't want to end up uh having a, an issue. Um so let me ask you this uh on this topic. Uh what what becomes of the John McKay Center now? I mean uh you know, uh, you know, we don't know when it's going to start this new project, when it's going to end. I I think it's obviously you have to uh I think when you get down to it it's a great facility. Uh, I'd like to see more uh, artists run stuff about what's inside of it. I'm sure it will be awesome. Uh, uh, My question, of course, is, um, what about the McKay Center? Is it is it? How are they going to use it? How does it affect heritage Hall? Um, uh, You know, Mark, you're all you're around there all the time. Uh, What's going to happen? What 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 what's your understanding uh, about you move up all, out of this, all the football stuff out of there and over to this new building. What, what, what takes its place in inside the McKay center? Anybody heard anything?
1: No. And I actually asked a couple of people I'm waiting to hear back from them, but it is interesting because right next door to it, you know, is the dining hall, which is, you know, pretty top notch. So I don't know if they would just take that out other than maybe just make it more available to the entire student. A population as opposed to just student athletes. Uh, and the Lions Center is it's still there, but it's, you know, I, I would call it small, maybe antiquated is more useful. Um, but, you know, it, it's still a, a top-notch facility. You've got meeting rooms, you know, an auditorium. Uh, it's a learning center, you know, for, with computers and, and and the tutors. So there's a lot going on there. I don't think they would just rip it out. Um, you, they invested, you know, a lot of money in it, what, 12 years ago? it would seem like a waste to, to, I'm not sure what they would do with it. I don't know. Great question. I
2: assume that's, I assume that's going to become an upgrade for some of the other sports, right? right.
1: Yeah. Track and field uses. That would I be the
2: most reasonable
1: thing. Yeah. No. Football players aren't going to have to wait to get on the treadmill anymore. How's that? <laughs> well, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's a question that I, it first hit me is it, because we remember the Ballyhoo Ford. I remember the first time I toured it, the times I've been in there. Uh, you know, I'm sure that they could still use the auditorium there for for press some um, uh, medians, uh, introductions to the athletic department, so on and so forth. But uh, knowing how elaborate it is on that third floor, I think it's the third floor uh, or second floor. I don't know how they're they're categorizing it. It seemed like there was a lot of space devoted to football, and uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. Uh,
1: the NIL offices over there.
0: Okay, I mean, that's, that's a good point, actually. Uh, You know, we have to take into consideration NIL and how they're going to do it. Uh, I think what caught my eye with the announcement of the new football thing is they said, a new recruiting center, I'm kind of fascinated by what that's going to entail. Uh, uh, You know, there's, I think it's really intriguing to see what they're doing. Uh, So uh, I'm more, I, I think it's obviously something they can sell. But as far as the John McKay Center, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, transition that. Uh, We have a lot of questions at the end of the show. Uh, A lot of active uh, listeners wanted questions. So we're going to kind of cut the time short here on the uh, first half. But we're going to go to the uh, second half. So, or excuse me, quick hitters of halftime. So, guys, uh, you're going to fill in the blank for me. Uh, We're kind of looking towards the Big Ten. And we're going to have a a little exit uh, in the future about Pac-12 schools and what we remember. But uh, considering now that we're putting Big Ten patches on jerseys for recruits coming in, because that's what they're gonna be playing in. So kind of fill in the blank for me. Uh, I'll start off since obviously we we have a three panel today. Uh, Eric is on assignment. Uh, When I think of Ohio State football, I think of fill in the blank. I'll start it off. I think of physical football. I think of the horseshoe having been there. And Woody Hayes, that I cannot stop and think of the times that remembering the great um, battles of the 70s between John McKay and Woody Hayes and how Woody Hayes was nationally and the disgrace he was when he punched the player from Clemson on the sideline. Uh, That's my thoughts on uh, 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 Ohio State. Mark, uh, when you think of Ohio State football,
1: what do you think of? Yeah. I mean, everything you said, you know, it's just a passionate place for football. You know, the the stickers on their helmets, uh, the end of the season, you know, rivalry game against Michigan. Uh, the, uh, knowing that Ohio State football with growing up watching Woody Hayes and, and the teams that followed after him, um, as you mentioned, just the physicality, you know, Ohio State thinks of football, and then anything else after that, it's literally that order. And family sometimes comes second.
0: All right, Chris, uh, when you think of Ohio State football, what do you what do you think of?
2: Yeah, a lot of the same things. I, I think of the the helmet stickers. That's so distinctive uh, to Ohio State. You don't see that at a lot of programs, uh, at least not in that way. And I think of the horseshoe, because like you, I've been there and it's um, it's an unbelievable place to watch a football game. Uh, And that uh, and that uh, OHIO thing they do that, like they do all the time, somebody just screams it out and then a bunch of people do it. It It's really annoying. You know, teams always complain about about the USC band and they're always playing, uh, you know, they're always playing the same song over and over again. I I start to understand their complaint at least a little bit after having experienced Ohio State fans do that, uh, do that uh, OHIO thing, which is just awful. Awful. I mean, the first couple of times it was kind of cool. After about 600 times, less cool. (laughs) That's what I think about.
0: All right. Well, I think uh, let's move on. Uh, Panel, when I think of Michigan football, uh, what do you think of? I'll start off on this one. I think of again physical football the uniforms the helmet this the stripes on the top of the helmet and i think of the fight song uh hail to the victors uh and the precision of the michigan uh, marching band which is in concert also with the ohio state marching band i might add
1: uh but those are the things that are iconic to me what about you mark yeah i remember all the usc rose bowl victories over michigan um as you mentioned they they wear the modern day helmet just the have the wrong colors I I love watching Ohio State Michigan play you know for me that that every Saturday growing up I knew that was going to be on at nine o'clock in the morning and it was going to lead up to a USC versus UCLA rivalry game or USC Notre Dame typically later in the year um Michigan football again it's the big house it's a hundred thousand people that First of all, Ann Arbor doesn't have 100,000 people, so how they are able to get that many people there every single college football game, no matter how good or bad they are, is pretty neat. And uh, that's something that Michigan, as you mentioned, they, they can hold that over a lot of, a lot of other programs. Um, they've got that fan base that just appreciates Michigan football. And Hail to the Victor, I mean, that's one of the most iconic fight songs uh, that's out there. So let me ask you a follow-up question because you because you did bring it up.
0: Um, do you foresee in the uh, well in the <laughs> probably near future, when you consider it's only a year away, that on the same Saturday uh, at the end of the season that we will see Ohio State and Michigan uh, at least out here at the nine o'clock hour, twelve uh, o'clock back there—that's the tradition. Do you think we'll again see the CLA game to follow? Uh, that rivalry since it's going to be a Big Ten game, uh, or at least beyond the same day, if it's not immediately following, maybe the night game on the same day. What do you what do you think will
1: happen? If I'm in charge of one of the TV networks that gets to do this, uh yeah, it's probably way up there on my list of let's make this happen. Check it off. Absolutely. I mean, it's advertisers are gonna be lining up to sell their product uh, for those games. All right
2: Chris, Michigan football, your thoughts. What do you think of? Yeah, I mean you guys have you guys have hit the points already. Michigan and Notre Dame are obviously rivals uh in uh in football, but they're also rivals when it comes to both helmets and fight songs. I think Notre Dame and Michigan are competing for the most iconic helmet. They're competing for the most iconic fight song, and whenever I think of Michigan football, I think of those two things. I also I also think of the Michigan um, uh, the Michigan that I remember growing up, Bo Schimbeckler's Michigan. Um, you know, Bo with the the power football and grumpy and and uh, and just the just the way the way they played that midwestern brand of football. Um, that style of football has sort of gone away over the last decade or so, including in places like Michigan. But uh, I will always associate that brand of football with uh, with Michigan and and that that contrast between the reserved kind of grumpy physical blue collar Michigan teams and the and the flashy exciting USC teams It always made for a great contrast.
0: Yeah, it really did. I one year back in 1969. uh, uh, I was at uh, East LA College and uh, that's where. Many times the uh, Big Ten would work out in preparation for the Rose Bowl. And I remember going and seeing uh, in those days, Michigan had uh, players like tight end Jim Mandich, uh, uh, Billy Taylor at running back. And, you know, when I saw them up close, their helmets off, they they let me in to see it. Um, it was amazing how mature looking the, the players from the Midwest look, because uh, you mentioned flashy. Uh, how Beach Boy look uh, in, in some ways. That's that's kind of an unfair characteristic of Southern California, uh, you know, the lifestyle and everything. But uh, there was definitely a, a different look to Michigan players. They they looked like the twenty year olds looked like thirty year olds, and I was always amazed how SC could literally hit with them and out hit them in in a Rose Bowl game. Uh, all right, so finally we're gonna uh, end halftime with this. When I think of Penn State football, I think of. Now, I know this is unfair, and I hope uh, our, our Penn State listeners, who we hope will return and watch our watch the show and continue on when we're officially part of the Big Ten, but I, I can't help but think uh, of the downfall of Joe Paterno, that it ended the way it did in, in such a disgrace. Uh, believe me, if anybody knows about turmoil in an apartment, uh, it's SC fans. But the truth of the matter is, uh, I remember the year he came out here uh, the first time uh how cantankerous he was and it seemed like he was just annoyed at everything and everybody and I, I kind of expected this quote Saint Joe uh image and and it wasn't like that I remember it, I think it was at Disneyland and it was like kind of like wow this is really Joe Paterno but I understand it was the end of his career and I think they actually wanted to move on but Mark what do you think of uh what do you think of Penn
1: State football obviously you know the white again it's an iconic uniform just white helmet white shirt white pants black shoes it's tradition um you know you mentioned the the downfall of jopa and and everything that you know we don't need to go in what what happened behind the scenes but there is a there's a cult-like atmosphere around folks who follow that football program and again it's in the middle of nowhere and every single game to see i don't know where they're coming from but in over a hundred over a hundred thousand fans fitting into that stadium every single game um you you just have to kind of tip your hat to that and uh, the the style of football that they that i remember penn state it was you know just three out three yards and a cloud of dust and then go play defense and they would go up against the flashy teams like the Miamis that, you know, we remember in the in the early days with uh, Jimmy Johnson. Um, talk about a con- con- contrasting style. Uh, that's what I remember, the Penn State style versus the Miami style and how Penn State style just kept doing what it did and winning.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think you make a, a good point. I think that uh, Penn State football... To me, you always know, there's always like, uh, what would happen if SC played Penn State? What would happen? Because there was a mystique to me about Penn State football, because in those days, they were an independent. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I remember when they played in the Fiesta Bowl against Marcus Allen and and that team, and quite frankly, they just destroyed SC physically. It was like jaw-dropping to see that type of football imposed on USC, Uh, and I kind of gained a new respect for Penn State. Because in those days when they were independent, they didn't always play the toughest schools in the in the in the in the uh, schedule. Should we say, Chris, what do you think about Penn State football? What do you think?
2: I think about what everybody thinks about. You can't think about Penn State football without thinking about Joe Paterno. I don't know that there's another program that closely identified with with a single individual, right? I mean, maybe Florida State, maybe but uh you know all of the other all of the other blue blood programs have had success under more than one coach in, in various eras uh you're talking about a program that was built by joe paterno and for the better part of half a century uh ruled it with an iron fist for better or for worse <laughs> uh and you're right and you're right that um the those paterno teams i i remember I remember the Marcus Allen game. I was very young, but I remember that one. The one that I really remember, though, and I think Mark alluded to it, was that national title game against Vinny Testaverde's Miami team. I think he was 86. Yeah. I was a kid, and I don't know what the point spread was for that game, but I remember, I remember thinking that there's no way in the world Penn State can play with these guys. Just no way in the world. And then what you see is that they're pressuring Testa Verde. They're shutting down the run. They're picking him off over and over and over again. And um, I mean, Joe Paterno, for all his faults, which are which are out there for, for the whole world at this point, that guy was a heck of a football coach when he was in his prime. I mean, those guys, those guys were tough and they were disciplined and they would show up and hit you in the mouth. And even if you were a lot more talented than they were, they were going to bring it to you. Um, uh, and so that's that's what i remember they they played like their uniforms um plain and boring sometimes but geez so effective so effective
0: you know it's, it's funny because uh you made me when you were saying there chris it made me think about uh a friend that i had known for a long long time their family jesse gomez who uh was a snapper center on, uh, USC's team back in the, uh, uh mid, nineties. Uh, and I remember the SC went to play in happy Valley and he got his leg broken. And I, I talked to him later afterwards and he says, you know what, playing at Penn state in that crowd, in that stadium, he says, they were absolutely vicious, the players, not alone the, the, the crowd. He said, uh, they really played a style of football that we weren't ready for. He goes, and look at me. I ended up with a broken leg. Uh, so that shows you uh, Penn State football. And I, I again, I think we mentioned this in a previous show. I, I will not be shocked at all if, if uh, next season, or in 2024, uh, it's a whiteout game for USC. It, it just seems like it's like just staring me in the face. Uh, and that in itself would be worth uh, covering the game. Uh, no matter how long the drive is from Harrisburg to to Happy Valley, so um, uh, interesting takes, guys. Uh, well done. We'll we'll continue with some of these questions with uh, the big uh, Big Ten, some of the other schools, uh, and then we'll we'll do an exit uh, interview later. Uh, kind of thoughts on the Pac-12 and and leaving the schools, but let's get to the second half. Um, and I think this is a uh, quality second half here uh, because it's about recruiting. Panel, the Trojans have finally cracked the top uh, ten. They're number nine at last count uh, with the Marcellus Williams uh, commitment. Uh, How far away are the Trojans from having a top five recruiting class? And what do they need to get uh, inside the top five? Chris, your overall thoughts uh, on are we
2: going to have a top five class? yeah i think i think probably uh it 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 certainly appears as if lincoln riley and his staff including annie henson are uh are really on top of things not just because they're spending a lot of money which clearly they are but also because they've figured out how to persuade parents and and players and they have uh they have the usc has a lot to offer and they are doing a great job of, of getting that information across in ways that that's impactful so they're not going to get everybody but i think they're going to get a lot of people and and at this point uh it would be a surprise to me if usc doesn't finish in the top five um and and if they don't they'll probably be just outside of that and that that combined with lincoln riley's um aptitude uh when it comes to pulling players out of the transfer portal means that usc will continue to rebuild their roster to make it look like a top five program um and and he's doing it in very quick order
0: uh, you know i i i'm looking at our stories on WeRSC.com and i'm talking with friends and you know it it seems to me uh and we'll get i think a little clear definition from mark here in a moment It seems to me that it's not if, but when a lot of these guys are gonna announce, just reading their quotes. One of the things I've always learned over the years is players come out with some really, at the the time they say it, very sincere quotes, how they're blown away by this and that and the academics and everything that goes along with, uh, you know, having a wonderful recruiting trip. But it seems to me, I felt this way last year, I feel this way this year, that there's really meat on the bone here. I the quotes that I'm saying, I'm hearing. Grandma thinks that this is basically where I should be going to school. Uh, you know, hearing the the comments, I just have a question. A- am I? I think in the NCAA schools are now to, allowed to on official visits bring parents. Is that is my am, am I accurate on that? Do they does SC pay for parents to come out here uh, if they're traveling? on official visits yeah uh-huh pretty sure yeah i think so i think that was a change uh yeah. and obviously yeah. to me there's, there's there's so many of them that are now coming that i i, I think it, i did remember
1: i think that they were doing that but i, I wasn't 100 if not the university, sure. not the, university the collectives are i mean it's, it's
2: yeah i think i think that's right and and mark points out the the, the collectives here's the thing uh, it, one of the, one of the downsides to, uh, to trying to recruit out of state is that especially with families that don't have a ton of money, you're trying to convince mom to let, uh, to uh, to let junior go play somewhere where they're not going to be able to see him play in person. Maybe they get out there once a year. Uh, those days are gone, right? If the family wants to fly out to USC to watch football games, they're going to be able to do that, which I think it, it changes things dramatically. Not always in SC's favor, right? Because other programs can do that too. And so I think it makes it harder to to build a fence around around your uh, around your school. Um, I mean, you're sort of seeing that with Georgia now, right? I mean, Georgia's losing good football players to other to other programs despite the fact that they're on top of the world. Um, and, and so USC is going to do the same. I think it's going to make all the major powers more national recruiters. Uh, in the way that, you know, programs like Notre Dame have always been, but Texas, USC, the Florida schools, it's, it you know, it was always 90% uh, hometown kids. I don't think it's going to be that way anymore, partly because of this NIL stuff. Uh,
0: let's transition over to you, Mark. Uh, some comments. I, 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 I had a chance to watch your podcast show, the
1: Monday one. I thought and- this question sounded familiar. <laughs>
0: well you know i i try to be a you know equal no no
1: because it's perfect that's a great way that's a great segue for me to answer because well
0: yeah because now you owe me one but that's fine
1: <laughs> uh, but anyway tell us what tell us what you know and your, your thoughts on on this yeah you know usc is actually they have the if we're using on three's data recruiting database they have the number nine class right now the difference between nine eight seven and six is I, literally, you can't fit the difference between my finger and forethumb. Uh, it's, it's less than a percentage point. So all USC needs to do is just keep, continue to add players, and they are going to be in the top five, which is, is a spot that Michigan currently holds. Um, it, it's it it's a matter of time, and knowing that the players or the recruits that USC is in play for, um, if just two or three of those. You know, decide to to pop the cork and and say USC is where I'm going to go. Um, they're inside the top five. It, it's not a ma- like you said, Greg. It's not a matter of if. It's it's now really a matter of when. Is is USC going to be a top five team by the end of June, as far as the recruiting rankings are concerned? And, and I if think- they're not, go ahead, Mark. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's go. okay. You know, I, I I can I kind of ended my segment last uh, on on the show yesterday that if USC doesn't finish with the top five class, um, something went wrong. And that usually means they, they reneged on a lot of things and probably had a really, really, really bad season. Again, well, I, not-
0: I think, um uh, the a recruit that I'm looking at strongly, and I think it's some, again, uh, to pimp your show a bit, um, was you mentioned that, uh, SC and was down to SC and and Clemson for Mike Matthews, the wide receiver out of Georgia. Uh, you know, if that does happen that SC gets Mike Matthews to me, he's such a big name in the recruiting world. He's obviously a five star SC doesn't have a five star yet, but I think they'll have a five star after the all-star games are played and people see the workouts. Uh, you'll see some stars moving around and I think SC will have more than one five star. When when the dust is settled. But uh, if they get like a Mike Matthews, uh, and it does, you know, I think according to you, correct me if I'm wrong, it's uh, neck and neck with Clemson. Yeah. If he can pull him out of Georgia to come to the West Coast, uh, to me, that's, I already get the sense, I wrote about this already, that the Southeast Conference is starting to raise eyebrows again about concern about USC. And it's possible, in my opinion that Lincoln Riley, if he has the haul that he looks like he's going to haul, not only from Texas, and we'll get into some of this in a second, he could actually be a bigger threat than Pete Carroll ever was uh, in terms in the long term, because I think Lincoln Riley will be at SC for a while. Um, But boy, I tell you, if I'm in Georgia, uh, you don't want to sit there at this point in time if Matthews goes to SC and say, well, uh, that was an anomaly because there's other players from Georgia that are coming to SC. And I think someone else pointed out, even if a player doesn't come to SC out of Georgia, they go back saying that was a hell of a trip. That Those guys are awesome. And who knows, with the transfer portal, they could still get some of these players to return to SC as players on the second time around. So let me uh, transition to... Um, Any predictions on uncommitted players you think will commit at the end of the month? Uh, Chris, is any name stick out to you that that you think might make a commitment uh, that's a big time player by the end of the month?
2: Well, I mean, I think USC is gonna have quite a few big time players, but uh, it it looks more and more like Taylor Tatum is almost certain to pick USC, the running back out of Texas. Who's you know the number one back in the country? I think according to most services, uh, which is pretty exciting. I mean, USC, USC needs to recruit Texas well. They have a lot of ties there. There are a ton of good football players in Texas, uh, and it's a short trip. I know it's a short trip because I do it all the time for work. It's just not that bad to fly. All
0: right, I think we're having a little uh, freeze there uh, with Chris. Hopefully, he gets back on the line here, but. Uh amplify what Chris was saying. Uh, You know, SC is recruiting a lot of players and getting success out of Texas, and it's starting. If I'm a, let's say I'm at Oklahoma, I start saying to myself, "My God, he's turning Texas, Oklahoma uh, into now uh, USC, uh, Texas." It's like uh, the Lincoln Riley transition to USC uh, didn't change a thing. as far as Texas recruits are, they're just looking at Lincoln Riley. Say, "Oh, he's not at Oklahoma. Okay, I'm going to look at USC." So uh, I'm going to also predict that um, uh, uh, that the the running back uh, is going to make the commitment to USC. I think it's uh, you know when you look at where uh, Nathaniel uh, uh, I think it's Parker is looking at uh, uh, looking at, at TCU or SMU. You know I I think that makes it makes a kind of a idea
1: that it might happen. Mark, who do you think is going to be the next one? i'm not going to mention name i just think it'll probably be another defensive player but and to your point though about uh you know the whole mike matthews being a five star i don't think it makes a difference one way or another as much as the usc and would love to have mike matthews uh if you look at you know for all the stargazers if you look at usc's uh you know, score rating they literally they, they, they actually have the number six class as far as you know um player ranking is concerned so again that's what i always like to kind of gauge is the the program that's recruiting the player and um you know the the impact that that player would have on the program it, it, i don't care if it's a three star or a five star you know if you see georgia alabama and Clemson wants you. Does it really matter if you're a four-star or a five-star? Of course not. You're you're highly wanted. Um, USC is going to be just fine. They can add one player, and they are going to jump two teams. So you add a Taylor Tatum, you add a Ty Anthony Smith, um, or a Draylon Miller, or, you know, a Jason De- Zandamella, lo- the offensive lineman, um, there's a lot of play out there right now. You have Marquis Gallegos, another safety, pro, uh, defensive back prospect. USC is going to be just fine by the end of the month. Again, there's a lot of names out there. I'm no not, wait,
0: let, I'm let's not welcome run. back. Chris, nice to see you're back with us. Can you, can you talk? So Sorry you? guys. Yeah. Can you, can
2: you hear me? You
0: know, I know you want to drive through, uh, you know, what a burger or whatever it's called,
2: uh but
0: uh you in and know. out
2: i'm in i'm in newport beach it's called in and out and here's the thing <laughs> this is a this, this is a show with high production values and so sometimes this sort of thing will happen Um when i got cut off i kept talking for about 20 seconds and i said probably the best stuff i've ever sh- said on any of our episodes and you missed it <laughs> but but i don't repeat myself so i'm not going to say it for you now but thank you for uh welcoming me back greg
0: it's an honor and a pleasure, believe me. Um, I am going to say, since Mark brought it up, since he, he says he can't mention a defensive player's name, I'm, I'm going to mention mention
1: anybody in
0: specifically who will, well, I'll, I'll mention specifically, cause I, I don't have a problem with it. I know that you have sources and stuff that I understand, but I could be wrong. So, you know, you don't have to comment one way. Or the other. I think, uh, if you're looking at a defensive player, I would think Ty Anthony Smith would be the one that, that would, would, uh, Recruit, especially because of his grandmother saying, uh, you know, she's all in love with it. He he lives I guess apparently with his grandmother, and uh, it just seemed like a like a kind of a neat story. And of course, if uh, if that is true, if that's who I'm thinking that without you having to say it uh, is the player, uh, I'll take full responsibility. And I think that means that the wide receiver uh, uh, is going to join him from Texas. Uh, at some point in time, uh, Draylon there. So uh, let's uh, kind of finish this segment up so we can get to some questions here. Uh, panel, do you expect from here on out the signing uh, for some players that SC, how should I put this? Uh, expect from here on out to the signing uh, date, players are going to flip from here to the signing date for USC? In other words, let's just say as an example, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say that uh, Dylan uh, Riola decides, okay, I'm going to flip from Georgia to USC. I mean, that's a fantasy world, and I did it because I knew it would bring a smile to Culkin's face, which is, you know, a a real challenge for me. Uh, But on the same token, do you expect some of these players that has committed SC uh, to decommit from USC uh, before we get to December signing period? uh Chris what do you think are we going to see
2: uh, flips on both sides before December uh you got to unmute
0: we can't hear you Chris sorry so sorry guys I'm
2: I'm failing I'm failing the team today
0: well I thought uh, you were doing an Eric McKinney impression but that's okay we'll move on like every yeah. back you forget the last play and you go on that's right
2: that's right short memory yeah uh so i think it will happen because it happens every year right and and a lot of times a lot of times fans get freaked out when when somebody flips uh and and a usc commit flips and leaves the truth is most of the time when that happens it's because the coaching staff wanted it to happen and and so those those aren't scary i think it probably will happen i'm not going to offer any names but um but that's usual practice but usc has a lot to sell and as lincoln riley has pointed out unlike last year when they were selling potential uh, or track record at another school this year they're selling that um, we've already started the turnaround and we're we're most of the way there you can come join us and it's a pretty effective pitch so yeah i mean usc will probably flip some people and they're going to end up with a loaded class i don't think there's any question about it not Ryola. i don't think that's going to happen but they're going to end up with a with a loaded class
0: yeah i i think there'll be some flips but when i think when you when we're at this stage of the game i don't think i think uh, you know taylor moss the you know the number one tailback or running back as we say now in the country i think you know he'll stick uh i think ty anthony smith who i mentioned earlier from the eastern part of texas i think he'll stick uh but we know from past practice that there will always be some changes, uh, probably uh, coaching induced for the most part. Uh, but you know, it, it's always interesting to me to see if SC all of a sudden gets a flip from a player who just said, "Well, I'm thanks, you, you're great, SC, but I think I'm going to go here." I'm always interested to see if the guy's going to flip back. So it, it'll it'll be uh, interesting.
1: Mark, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think it's going to happen. Um, look, I, I'm going to use Latrell McCutcheon as my example. It gets to a point where cer- certain players, they start looking at the roster and saying, you know what, I'm all about competition, but I'm not about, I I, I, I had my own self-realization that I'm not good enough for that room. And I want to play, and there... I might be able to be good enough for that room in a couple of years. Let me go play somewhere else and prove it. So yeah, I, I think it had happened just because the mindset of, of these young men it starts playing with them. Um, they they might feel good now today, but you know you know we brought up the name Mike Matthews. If you're a receiver that's committed or intends to commit, are you going to be intimidated now? Because we know that there's politics at play with the the whole star rankings, and especially if we're recruiting across the country. Yeah stuff starts playing around in the locker room, and at least inside the player's head. So yeah, I, I think it could happen, potentially. You know, Mark, I want to ask you a question.
0: You know, it's always intriguing to me, we'll use Mike Matthews as an example. <laughs> Mike Matthews is from Georgia, yet he is not considering, apparently, Georgia, but SC and Clemson. And Tennessee, you, is Tennessee. Any reason why Tennessee. Mike Matthews is not have an interest in Georgia, or is that just a perception that but he really does have an interest but it's just not considered uh you
1: know public knowledge what, what's going on there i i don't know honestly that would i think it would be great to have scott or marshall on the show one time to answer a question like that um, and we should do that you're right absolutely but it is it's an intriguing I, I saw
2: I saw a quote from him. I saw a quote from him this morning where he did, in fact, mention Georgia as a school that he's considering. And maybe he's not really. Maybe that's just the sort of thing you say to appease the uh, the hometown fans are going to be angry with you. But um, but look, I, you know, I went away for college and it's a pretty cool thing to do to go to another part of the country and and uh, and experience something that's a little bit different to get away from home and and uh, it, it doesn't really surprise me when kids are interested in in going somewhere uh, further away. I think a lot a lot of times that's a really good thing to do to grow up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent point. And, you know, no matter how much you say, I'm, I'm going to SC. you say you're from Florida or whatever. It still gets down to actually signing your name on a letter of intent to actually make a commitment as opposed to a commitment is more like a pledge. Uh, So it, you know, that's why even though these players are committing in June, there's a long way between June and actually saying, okay, dude, put your name on it, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to see if SC can keep all these players from out of state uh, in the fold uh, right through December. And again, the season could carry the momentum to that happening. If SC really is able to survive the last six games uh, and keep alive the positive vibes that are obviously here now, uh, that'll make a difference. So with that, uh, let's go to overtime. There's a lot of questions. Let's let's try to get through as many as we can. Some of them are hold over from the week before. Uh, a reminder, if you're interested in participating in the huddle, we'd love to have you. Uh, just uh, check the new members, The excuse me, the premium members board. Uh, there's a there's generally a thread there that uh, says, you know, here's your chance to ask us some questions. We'll tell you what we know. It's our opinion. You don't have to agree with it, but this is how we think. Let's start off from MRB. Uh, he had three questions. Uh, if Alex Grinch's defense fails this year, what candidates would you be looking to interview to replace him? What style or alignment would you want to be installed by the new dc This is an open forum. If anything comes to mind, just
1: jump in right now, guys. i I feel like we've been down this road so i'm just going to stick with the let's see if it ever happens if alex grinch is for whatever reason let go hypothetically uh, jim leonard would be an ideal candidate and i don't know i'd like to see usc be a little bit more versatile consider maybe a four three that you can kind of disguise a little bit differently is there really a, a set alignment now anyways isn't everything kind of a hybrid sure seems that way doesn't it you know uh chris any
0: thoughts on this
2: no i, I mean look J- jim leonard's obviously the name that uh, everybody's talking about you don't have any idea who's going to be available uh come december or january so i i'm not sure what to make of that i'll also say that while i have criticized uh Grinch and while I still have some reservations um he has not yet proven to me that he can't coach this defense and he's going to be around this year so I'm not as interested in talking about who will hire when when he gets fired as I may have been for example when Clay Helton had been around for a number of years and I knew he was always going to be terrible I was more than willing to talk about that all the time Grinch hasn't yet fallen to that level in my eyes. So um, so I don't want to talk about it that much.
0: Here. Yeah, yeah I, I also agree. Uh, you know, I think after the emotion and stuff kind of calmed down after the two-lane loss, the bottom line is he's gonna get another year. We all I think should hope he succeeds, which will be for the betterment of the team. Obviously, with the way Essie's offense is figures to roll. Uh, so let's hope he does succeed. Uh you know, we'll, we'll see. I'll tell you one of the things that did catch my eye on, uh, one of the things I think, uh, Marcellus Williams talked about from the, he just committed from, uh, St. John Bosco, the defensive back is how he realized in his quotes, he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, of course, is that, you know, there was a lot of, uh, let's say talent deficiencies last year and that they, they, they have confidence that it's about the players as much as it is the system. And if I go there, uh, I think even uh, Ty Anthony Smith mentioned this as well, that they just need an upgrade. And, uh, you know, I want to be a part of that upgrade as opposed to go somewhere else where it's always in place. So, you know, it seems to me that they're handling it and the way the players that are being recruited are looking at it, it's, it's all positive for the moment. So let's hope that, uh, you know, it's positive during the regular season. Uh, MRB also asks, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the expectations are extremely high this year. And most of that is because of Caleb Williams. What would you consider to be a failure as far as W's and L's? Does the end of the schedule throw any caution to your high expectations? I'll I'll chip on this. Uh, You know, it's almost like the feeling is, and maybe it's a reality, that it's either playoffs or bust, uh, because this is probably the last year for Caleb Williams. But if I look in terms of uh, W's and L's, I would be disappointed if their record isn't at least 10-2. and Uh, I think if it isn't 10 and two uh that's not gonna bode well uh probably means the defense didn't uh play well enough but we'll see and yes the end of the schedule for me uh doesn't caution me uh in terms of high uh expectations of the team but the reality of it is it is game by game uh a difficult task uh the way it the way it all works out what do you guys think
2: I, I mean, I, I, I'm where you are, uh, not making the playoffs. would be a disappointment. It, It may be understandable in light of this schedule. I'm with you. I, you know, I could see two losses in this schedule because the second half is so tough with these games stacked up, uh, one after another, uh, and, and 10 and two would be a disappointment, but, but you could still be a really good football team with this schedule and go 10 and two. So, um, I will say this though. You know, we talk about how difficult the schedule is, but you look at, you know, those, those five difficult teams in the last six games. Every single one of those teams has huge matchup problems against USC, right? They do. I mean, not a single one of them has any idea how to stop Caleb Williams. <laughs> I mean, the only thing they can hope for is that he pops his hamstring, right? I mean, they're not going to stop him. He is going to score. And it's not just him. Well, well that's one of the reasons for hope that's that's an offense loaded with talent that's an offense where where mismatch uh, makers like deuce robinson and Zachariah branch who are unbelievable talents right we're talking about guys who are who should be first round draft choices those guys are fighting to get on the field this year that tells you something that's a that's a team that's going to cause problems for for all of those other programs and so while I, while I am nervous about uh, you know playing Oregon and UCLA back-to-back, playing Notre Dame and Utah back-to-back, those teams have some matchup problems they have to worry about, and USC is gonna be in a position to beat all of them too. So there's no reason that we shouldn't expect playoff. Yeah, let, let me just
1: say everyone, and Chris, you focused on the offense and you did it well, very eloquent, and everyone's focused on how difficult USC's schedule is this year and no one's gonna disagree that it's more difficult. I don't think anyone will disagree that last year had USC's defense have, has, had this year's depth, they make the playoffs last year. So as challenging as the schedule should be, USC has fixed that issue that they had last year and they added depth on defense. So um, that I think that's the difference maker. So yeah, playoffs were bust and For me, it's 11 wins. I understand the 10 and two because of the schedule and how it sets up, but because of the way the offense should play and knowing or hoping the defense can use the scheme that Alex Grinch is teaching with just more players and better players, um, why should we be settling for less than 11 wins in a playoff break? Well, I'll
0: say, uh, and I wanna clarify what I said in terms of my ten and two. Uh, no, I'm holding you to it, Greg. If there's going to be two losses, if there's going to be two losses. Greg? You stuck your foot in there. You're stuck. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to invoke the Colkin rule. <laughs> it gives me a chance to respond. Uh, no, I think the two losses to me, uh, I don't want to say any loss is acceptable because the only thing you learn about losing is how to lose. But I, I think if the losses were at Notre Dame, in Oregon, I could put under a quote, understandable. Uh, I don't want to see any of the losses at home, like against UCLA or Washington. Uh home losses to me would be daggers uh to the season. Uh so I hope that those two, I hope that SE doesn't lose at Notre Dame, uh, because they could. Uh obviously Oregon because they could. Uh and and we'll see from there. Uh, let's move on to his third question, which is, I think is an interesting one. Are USC's NILs now throwing money or promised money at recruits in order to get signatures, AKA Oregon and Nike CAS dollar signs H, uh, even though Lincoln Riley openly wanted no part of, uh, pay if you sign deals.
1: Uh, how are we looking at that guys? I think they're. They have their NIL game lined up, and they are introducing high school recruits to the people who will make sure that them and their families are well taken care of. We talked about it earlier in the show. You know, flying to games from out of state is a non-issue for families now. So to assume that USC isn't paying high school recruits, I don't know, maybe that's one way of looking at it, they're being taken care of they're being more aggressive with the ones they need to be the ones who have earned it you know there's not very many malachi nelson's out there
2: yeah i i don't think they're doing what oregon and and miami and tennessee and some of these other programs have been doing but i think i think lincoln riley's theory from the beginning is that that la is an economic powerhouse and And so if you can harness the power of LA and the deep ties that USC has in the business community in LA, that you could run NIL the way it's supposed to be run. You could legitimately match up players with opportunities and that USC's players would do very well. Uh, And I think that's probably an appealing pitch to players once they see that it's working. right? if if all of USC's players are doing very well in NIL, I don't know that you have to tell a guy you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars if you sign your name here, right. because they know that they know that the guys are making hundred thousand dollars that are in their position, and and there will be some trust there. So I think USC can do it. it it's going to take a little bit of time to show that the 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 NIL plan is working, but it sounds like the recruits right now are liking what they're hearing. And uh, and so I think USC is going to be okay in NIL. Um, and by the way, what happens in some of those other programs is a little bit dangerous. I mean, not only not only because you could have a meltdown the way Jimbo Fisher did, but if you're relying on one guy to give a lot of money to your program in order to pay for all of your recruits, that one guy has an immense amount of power at that program, right? I mean. If you're the guy at Miami that's writing the checks to land these guys, you are effectively calling the shots. You're the one that gets to decide which players you're going to recruit. You're certainly going to have a a great deal of say in who's playing because if I'm writing a check for $100,000 every year for a kid and he's sitting on the bench, I'm going to be unhappy. So What Lincoln Riley is trying to avoid, I think, is something that he should try to avoid. And and so I I think USC's NIL plan is going to work, and it may already be getting some traction.
0: Yeah, I think Lincoln Riley actually has a pretty good handle on this now. I think he knows what he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do. I think he's found out from previous recruits, even those that he has lost, uh, where the focus should be, and if it goes along with his uh philosophy uh i don't know i from what i understand the uh, presentation of nil and that sort of stuff really went over big with recruits they they totally get it he wants the type of player that's gonna have character he doesn't want a player that only would only want to go to sc for money it's way beyond that and i, and I support him four thousand percent so he seems to have it all together uh all right let's move to question
2: two. I think oh by the, the way can i say one more thing on that before please. Please do. It, it wasn't an accident that Nick Saban mentioned USC when he was complaining about NIL a few weeks ago. One, because USC is going to scare Alabama alums into writing, into writing checks um, in a way that a lot of other programs won't. But also because I think also realizes what Riley realizes about the, the economic potential of Los Angeles, which you do not have in Tuscaloosa. And so I think, I don't think it's an accident. I think Nick Saban's looking at, and I think he genuinely is concerned about USC NIL and recruiting, not because they're writing checks for, for signatures, the way programs have been, but he's just looking at it saying, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have those resources in Alabama. And that's a problem for me. A, a, different, a different angle on that is they have to take the risk of
1: recruiting, Nick Saban has to come out to California, recruit the top players, bring them back to Alabama, and retain them and hoping that the players that they paid to come out there the first time stay there and not say, you know what? The culture out here is just a little bit too weird. I'm going home. That's where USC is taking advantage of this game right now.
0: Well, you know, I, I saw a video uh, last night, uh, that was on YouTube. It was a a video right after spring ball, I guess at the, uh, kind of a meet and greet, uh, thing. Where Lincoln Riley was a guest speaker, and he, he again emphasized this point: USC and Southern California is not for everybody, and that is a big deal to me. Uh, we've all been around the country enough times to know that there's something really different about Southern California in terms of all facets, culture, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, when I see a player from out of state, and I read the quotes about certain things, think like one of the players says. And the beaches and the beaches. And I keep saying, you know, that's like what uh Chris is kind of mentioning. There's factors that that Nick Saban knows he can't, he can't battle, you know, a yacht cruise in on Marina Del Rey, or, you know, having uh, you know, your own beach blanket with your name on it and you're out there at the beach, whatever. Uh, and that is a real challenge that none of these teams, and they know it, they know it, you know it, I know it uh objective recruiting uh, people that watch it know it you cannot uh, SC's got so many advantages and to be honest with you like Pete Carroll Lincoln Riley knows how to push those buttons and go there uh and take full advantage of it um question two from Romy in Huntington Beach we've I think we've touched on this so no no link to discussion needed what is an estimate of number of rec- uh, commitments uh, secured by USC coaches from this week's uh trojans picnic i believe uh identify five uh, i think i said something around seven uh eight could be
1: more uh anybody want to just chip in a number if they bat 500 it's a win i mean it, yeah it doesn't five is the is the low number which is I, that's where i would go
0: All right, let's go to question three from uh, Tailback U in Orange County. Who is your must-get recruit this cycle and why? Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out on this one. I think it's uh, the linebacker from St. John Bosco. uh, Asa, uh, Viliamu Asa. I think think this is a must-get recruit. And when we saw a must-get recruit, I'm saying a guy they actually could get. Uh, Not somebody who I think is going to, uh, you know, uh, Alabama that we have no chance over, but starting locally uh, and even because he is a national recruit, I think Asa is just, if they can get him to go to USC, that is a major thing. And I think that the signing or commitment by Williams could go also a long way in getting uh, Asa to maybe uh, tone it down in his mind about Notre Dame and maybe Ohio State. Uh, so for me, it's, that's the guy must get recruit. How do you guys feel about it?
2: I don't believe there's any such thing as a must win, uh, must get recruit. I just don't think that there are, there are guys who are program changers. Um, you know, Mike Vick was a program changer for Virginia tech. You might say that he was a must get recruit. But I don't think USC ever has one. I mean, Lorenzo Booker was a must-get recruit. We didn't get him. Reggie Bush showed up the next year. If Reggie Bush didn't show up, there's a decent chance Adrian Peterson might have. I'm just saying that I don't think, I don't think USC has must-get recruits. Uh, it's a it's a program that recruits too many good players and and is too compelling. If you don't get a Dylan Raiola, you you will get somebody who is elite uh, anyway. I just think that's the way it works at uh, at USC. So I don't I don't buy into the to the theory.
1: Mark, uh, just from the from this perspective, USC is trying to prove to rec- to the college football world to recruits um, to specific programs. Yeah, we can develop you and we can get you to the NFL. So they they are now showing them statistics. You know, comparing USC to other programs, who might have, you know, might be selling themselves better than USC. So, as far as must have, to your point, Greg, yeah, Kingston Viliamuasa is a must get. So it it shows other defensive players out there who are it's like, I want to go to USC, but I'm just I'm not sure yet. You know, if when you get those, those marquee players jumping on board, it it gives confidence to other players to do it. So a local player, yeah, you want a, a Kingston Vili Amalasa. You want him to say, you know what, if my buddy Marcellus Williams is willing to do it, I'm going to do it. And then my buddy Peyton Woodyard, he's going to flip from Georgia, and he's going to stick at home as well. And then that just shows players like Idrick Houston, who is what I would consider an impact game-changing type of player, to say, you know what, that's a must-get. So there, I understand where Chris is coming from. I just look at it and I'm he wouldn't disagree. I'm coming at it from a little bit more of a, a nuanced uh, look at it um, as far as must get, as opposed to I, USC cannot lose that player type of thing.
0: All right, from Trojans 2021 in Chicago. If you had Annie Hansen's job of planning official visits, what is the one restaurant in LA you would take recruits to? For me, it would be Maestro Steakhouse, they would commit after having the butter cake. I don't know if, if a restaurant has an impact anymore because it seems to me that the best restaurant you could have would be Lincoln Riley's house uh, overlooking the Pacific Ocean in Palos Verdes Estates and the Luau. That seems to be doing a great job. But I remember the one restaurant that I thought really did did make an impact, having been there a number of times, was uh, uh, the Papadakis uh, Traverna in San Pedro, uh, the belly dancers the excitement the energy uh one year Pete Carroll I think uh you know made a surprise visit one time uh for uh, another USC uh, deal but uh Petro's Papadakis, uh or his father's John's uh restaurant in San Pedro was definitely a recruiting advantage and was actually the focus of NCAA investigations so to speak so uh that's uh, kind of my thought on, on this particular question anything you guys want to add no okay Let's i don't move. i
2: don't think i don't think they're even eating at restaurants uh, at this point i think they're uh, i think they have them i think they have them stacked up and and the food is catered i think i read that so maybe
1: take take them all to lorries and have little, let them have their own little mini beef bowl against each other so you can eat
2: them. <laughs> you know what hey Recruit you know what i'll plug bowl? this my my daughter works at Mother Wolf, which may be the hottest restaurant in L.A. right now. They have celebrities in there all the time. So uh, maybe Mother Wolf. But, but really, no, I don't think it matters. That's not going to sell a recruit. All
0: right. This is uh, from Trojans in the Valley. Hey, panel, we often hear about players and coaches watching game film. Can you describe the process? Where do they watch the film? Is there a dedicated film room? What are they focusing on when watching do they use any 3d or augmented reality how do players and coaches use that knowledge to get better uh okay chris you take this one
2: well i i can't i can't tell you what the usc players are doing right now and the technology they use because i don't know the the question how do players use it to get better um well I, So let's say you're playing defensive back, Um, watching film of the quarterback and the wide receivers on the other side may help tip you off to various things. Uh, Guys may line up, guys may line up uh, in a certain place only if they're running a particular type of route, you may, you may be able to key on the fact that um, that even though you would like your routes to look exactly the same for your first three or four steps, if you can do it, then maybe guys don't do that. Uh, maybe you can see something about the way a quarterback plays. I mean, that's part of it. You're trying to understand, you're trying to see something on film that you will then recognize in the game that will give you an advantage. That's, that's one example of the way you can use film.
0: Mark, anything to add on this? No, I I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't. This is Chris's line. Uh, yeah, well, I tell you, I've, I've kind of been in that situation. I, you know, you break down film. But in this day and age, uh, with so much seven on seven work and lineman stuff uh, competition, you know if you send people out there uh, that you respect or yourself as a recruiter can go out there and watch it. Uh, you can see how far advanced players are as, as athletically, uh, how how fundamentally sound they are. Uh, you can see do they put forth effort every 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 rep, uh, there's a lot of things you can do. And yes, they do have a film room., uh, most places I know, hey, look at high schools have their own film room, you know and it's some of the really big time programs. so uh it's 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 a process. and, uh, you know you come and then it's far beyond that, way, far beyond that because then you would add uh, knowledge of the player's character, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know you you do get some stuff off the film, but it's great to see them in person. Uh, question six from James, USC. I've heard on multiple occasions there have been changes made to the defense. Do you? Do you? What do you guys think of those changes? I can honestly say I don't know how many changes they're making, other than maybe personnel changes of position. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, we've heard there's been some tweaks to the scheme here and there. Um, obviously, it didn't really show itself during the spring game. So, uh, I guess we're going to have to find out. In the fall but yeah i mean they the defensive staff had a you know they they came together and, and they know that they had to make some adjustments we're going to find out what it is we know they're doing some stuff personnel wise or corey foreman is no longer a rush in. they determined he's going to put his hand in the dirt and play defensive end so we'll see what kind of scheme adjustments they made all
2: right yeah uh, go ahead, my, i, yes, I uh, my criticism of Alex grinch has been that sometimes he does things schematically that put players in difficult positions and give them give them assignments that are very hard uh, uh to fulfill maybe because he's trying to apply pressure at one spot that he's putting the defensive back in a very difficult spot somewhere else that's been my primary criticism of him but part of the reason he may do that is because he realized he did not have the talent he needed and so he's trying to engineer things And so we'll see, but the most important change USC can make is get better defensive players because the, the talent on the defense last year was not up to, up to USC standards. So if they solve that problem, then every scheme looks better. Remember, we're talking
1: about guys who started last year that might not be starters this year. That's how much the roster has changed. All right. Question seven. Just a
0: couple more here, and then we'll be done. Uh, from USC in Palm Desert, in the new facility plans for the football team, it is noted that the facility will include a quote recovery hub. What exactly is a recovery hub?
1: It's a room full of ice bath. Just it's <laughs> it's holistic medicine stuff. It's you know place. It, it, again, it's ice it's showers, massage rooms. It's aromatherapy. It's It's everything that, you know, players need to recover after a long day of practice or playing in the game.
2: This is one area where technology has really made huge leaps forward in recent years. And and it's it's hugely important. And I didn't realize how important it was until I got into my 40s, at which point it became clear that recovery recovery is actually difficult. But when you think about it, if you have if you're trying to if you're trying to get through summer camp uh, leading up to your first game, you're going to have guys that are dinged up, you're going to have guys that are sore. You want to keep them on the field, but even if you get them on the field, if they're beat up and they can't perform close to 100 percent, you're losing something. So I think USC is taking advantage of some of the um, some of the medical uh, resources and knowledge that we didn't have before. To get guys where they're where they're as close to healthy as possible uh so that they can get better every day
0: all right uh let's finish up here with uh the final question from scott in gilbert arizona hi panel with the with a number of high school kids committing <coughs> excuse me and committing in far greater numbers to the 2024 class do you see the coaching staff reserving some spots for transfers at the end of the 2000 2000- 23 season or do you see us taking a full class of 25 high school players for the class of 2024 comment.
2: I think you get every elite player, you can get as soon as you can get them, there will always be an opportunity to make room on the roster for talented transfers because on any team you're going to have some guys who don't pan out or. Or who aren't happy with their role or who or who aren't going to be able to to make it up on the depth chart and you have some honest conversations with those guys so i don't see any reason to i don't think you take i don't think you take uh questionable players but if you have if you can sign an elite guy you sign them you can worry about making room for a transfer later
1: mark any thoughts on this no there's nothing really up to say on that one it's It's such a fluid thing. And look, I I go back to what just happened. USC brought in a transfer in uh, Traquan Fagans late after spring. Player you considered, you know, part of the rotation, Luttrell McCutcheon said, I'm out. Eventually, you know, players are going, the, the players will call themselves. Sometimes you don't even need the coach to do it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in this day and age, especially with the transfer portal, I think uh, Lincoln Riley, I think he has said this before, he's not going to just take players to take players, he's not going to fill up the, the class of t- 2024 with let's just say 25 players. <laughs> not gonna and when he doesn't do that, that obviously gives him a, a great deal of flexibility, I think he has a pretty good idea uh of a, of a master plan where look we'll at this These this is the lot of the level that we're going to go to and then we can cut it off here like chris mentioned if, if they're all superstar players he's gonna he's gonna be able to get them in and i think as mark just mentioned uh you know there's always going to be a spot open but it, it is a little bit of a balancing act so far they've done it they, uh, to me they've done a, a a super job of dealing with it and i think if they continue to get the great high school players that it appears they're going to be getting uh in the uh future uh, is going to, you know, they're just going to just kind of a sliding scale. It's going to be fluid situation. So, all right, guys, great job. A reminder, if you have questions or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSC member message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle. viewer, listener questions. That'll do it for this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. Till next Tuesday, a big thank you for uh, to our panelists. Mark uh, Culkin and Chris uh, Arledge, who is on a remote. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Settle. Have yourself a great week. Until then, this is your moderator, uh, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.